Welcome back to our Endurance Race Podcast. Today, I'm joined with my new friends, Evan and Jenny Owens. Evan and Jenny are the founders of Reboot Recovery, a program designed to help soldiers, first responders, and even civilians recover and heal from traumatic experiences. They've also written a book called Healing What's Hidden. Healing What's Hidden is the most compassionate, grace-filled book that I have ever read. The way the book gently points to a loving and merciful God who is ready to redeem and restore lives of people with various backgrounds is phenomenal. Filled with practical steps and QR codes of bonus material, this book has a way of keeping you engaged throughout. Jenny and Evan's heart is seen within the pages of this book as they bring their real authentic selves while being the hands and feet of Christ. Speaking of being real and authentic, that's where I'm going to start this episode today. With their commitment to be real and authentic and some technical difficulties we had starting this podcast, we're going to just dive right into where we were. Laughing about our technical difficulties and going through them together, I'm bringing you in to that as well. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and share this one with a friend. There's a lot of good information in today's episode and a lot of good laughs. You're going to enjoy it, so send it to someone else who you think would enjoy it as well. Let's dive in. That was really good. Oh my gosh, that was so good. And it's gone now. All right, well, it's recording again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we can, we are the host. We can only Well, I thought we were just having small talk. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, well, it's all everything, good. Everything she just said, most amazing book ever written in the history of the universe it's, um, was it's just recorded. Par for the course of the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, I think that's how you know you're doing a work that God wants you to do when <laughs> Satan's working against you. This has been a podcast interview I've been looking forward to, I've been praying about. And then we had some technology mishaps here the last 14 minutes or so. So yeah, it's just par for the course. Yeah. We've been through the struggle together, though. That's what's right. We're not alone in the struggle. Came out the other side. <laughs> and this technology problem, it too will be redeemable right. in the future right. at some point. So <laughs> Right, right. So I'm honored to be with Jenny and Evan Owens today, the author of Healing What's Hidden and the founders of Reboot Recovery. Could you tell us a little bit about what Reboot Recovery is and how it started? Sure. Go for yes. it, lady. So Reboot Recovery offers peer-led, faith-based trauma healing courses and helping everyday people overcome the traumatic experiences of their past and embrace a brighter future. We started working with the military as a result of my work as an occupational therapist with the army. And it was life-altering experience to sit down with folks who not only had brain injuries, but were recovering from soul wounds from combat. And it didn't take long to recognize that those were really the wounds that we needed to start with because we can throw a lot of medication and put people through the medical system. Um, but if you don't address the soul wounds, a lot of times those symptoms are not going to change and people are still going to be finding themselves hopeless and isolated and turning to all sorts of bad things to try to cope. So we sat down as a couple, and this was like 12 years ago, and just asked God, how can we help people who are experiencing the heavy weight of trauma and how it's, and their families? And Reboot is what came out of that. We just decided to gather people together in a small group setting around the topic of trauma and how does it intersect with faith. And it was a really awesome way to start a spiritual conversation with people who maybe wouldn't classify themselves as spiritual or church going mm -hmm. or religious. But no matter who you are, 
trauma catalyzes a conversation about God because it challenges you to ask those hard questions. Why did this happen to me? Why would a good God let these terrible things happen to me or my loved ones? And so we saw just amazing results from that. And I'm giving you the real quick flyover. Several years later, we ended up developing a similar course, a 12-week course to help first responders and their families heal from trauma that they sustain in their work. And then just in 2020, we released trauma, a trauma healing program for everyone called Trauma Reboot, because we learned very quickly that while military members get combat trauma and first responders endure duty-related trauma, a lot of times people had trauma from their childhoods or from things that happened in their marriages. And that is the trauma often that really hangs people up. So we wanted to create a curriculum that could speak to anyone. And that is really where we would at today. And that's the origination of the book, Healing What's Hid, and was really to try to extend that out to more people. Yeah, I think what attracted me to the book first is where you said that you worked with the military and then you realized that there was a, a need for first responders to have this kind of same trauma course as well, because I have lots of friends that are either former or even current law enforcement or maybe in the military in some capacity. And then to go beyond that and say, you know what, everybody's had some sort of trauma they need mm -hmm. to be restored from. And that's where I picked up the book. And like I said earlier, before we cut out, I was in between this book and another book, and I only had time to read one because I'm busy. Got jack of all trades, master of none, too many irons in the fire, whatever you want to say. But it was so grace-filled. Healing What's Hidden is the most compassionate, grace-filled book that I've ever read. The way it points gently to a loving and merciful God who is ready to redeem and restore lives with various backgrounds is absolutely phenomenal. Filled with practical steps and even your QR codes of bonus material, this book has ways of keeping you engaged throughout. Evan and Jenny's heart seems to be filled within the pages of this book and bring out their true, authentic selves while they are being the hands and feet of Christ. Wow. That might be the sweetest review sure. anyone's ever given of the book. It makes me want to tear up. Thank you for sharing that with me. Well, I can tell where your heart is just by reading through through the pages. And it was so authentic. And even from, I think it was you, Evan, that said, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is one of your favorite <laughs> movies. Yeah. I love that because it's one of my favorite movies. I was playing a game with my, my best friend, her kids and my kids. And it was, who knows you best? The questions are sometimes hard because you have to know yourself before someone else can pick an answer for you. And they're like, what's Christy's favorite movie? And the kids go, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. She goes, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Well, it's actually funny. We did the audio book and at the moment of um, being authentic and also just if there's a way to give people material to make fun of me for, I'm, I am I am willing to share that material evidently without thought. And in the audience, look, there's this line I say where I say in the Grinch, as he lay in the snow or something like that, I say, he quotes this, the line that I never forget from the movie where he goes, I'm feeling like that. And I like two or three times in that chapter in the voiceover, I try to do my personal imitation of Jim Carrey's The Grinch, which is terrible, by the way. And so it's so funny that all the time I'll get emails from people being like, by the way, the I just want to have a audio of you on my ringtone saying things like The Grinch, like all the time people text me about. It. I just got one the other day that was like, by the way, the imitation of The Grinch was a nice touch. You know, like everybody who listens to the audiobook, basically, they don't listen to anything I say. They just want me to do bad impressions of characters because I cannot do any accents. No matter who I try to do, it turns into 
a poo from the symptoms pretty much that's that's what will happen that's the, no but i but i will say that the the self-deprecating humor is is a very key ingredient into what helped reboot be successful because we started out with military members and we are not military and if you know anything about that community they're pretty closed off to outsiders they have a lot of people that they're suspicious of for having ulterior motives and it was the it would be a hard target audience to reach if you weren't authentic and you weren't willing to give people material to make fun of you with because that is a love language in some ways and i think it helped build a relationship for us and we have so many close friends now who as you read in the book are veterans and that just really shaped our who tear down our self-esteem on a regular basis oh but it's all in love right but yeah, Evan's really gifted at that. And I'm glad to know. I'm gifted at leveling the playing field because it's hard. It's a hard enough topic to, to broach. It's very serious. And so a little bit of humor goes a long way. I'm gifted at it. I'm going to start saying that <laughs> I'm gifted. Easily, being easily made fun of. It's one of your spiritual giftings. <laughs> it's like the gift of helps, the gift of being made fun of. It's in that order. Pretty, right? um, yeah. So there's plenty of things in the book that we can talk about, but one of the things is community. And you say that's a really important and key role into recovering from trauma. Can you like talk about that a little bit? I can, yeah. I mean, at a high level, we look at the national shortage of mental health responders. So let's assume that that the current mental health approach is actually working, which I would argue and contend that actually data would show that it hasn't been working for about 25 years. But let's just pretend that the data all looked rosy and great. Well, then the challenge still presents itself that there simply aren't enough professionals to go around, which means that the future of behavioral health and mental health is going to be peer-to-peer support. And we get, we've gotten to a place in society very interestingly where, you know, there's this Jesus and therapy movement that I see a lot of Christians having. It's like, it's okay to have a therapist. It's okay to have a Jesus. And that is true. And we love our therapists and counselors. But also, when did we get to a place where the only time we had people who truly listened to us when we, was when we paid them to do so? Yeah. And how can we get back to a place where we're interruptible enough, where we're able to say, hey, I'm going to put my phone down long enough to do eye-to-eye contact with you and make sure you know you, you matter to me and you're the only person in this room right now I'm paying my undivided attention to. And if we could do that, then maybe we start to realize that the solution to trauma, the solution to suicide, the solution to some of these things isn't more awareness, it's more connection. Mm-hmm. And when we look at this point of connectedness, if you look throughout lots of different research studies, the number one indicator of long-term mental health is not EMDR, it's not prolonged exposure, it's not CBT or some pharmacological medication. The number one indicator is the level at which we participate in loving, trusting relationships. It's being fully known and knowing others. And, And we felt like, what if we could create these pockets of people where they understood each other because they'd been through similar experiences and we could just facilitate it. And I mean, you brought up first responders. How many first responders, mental health hasn't worked for them because the person sitting across the desk doesn't really have a frame of reference for what they've been through. But if they get into a group of people with other people who have responded to that accidental weapons discharge, who have responded to that drunk driver incident, who have responded all of a sudden now there's this level of trust where I can start to actually process and heal. And what a beautiful picture of how the early church was supposed to look. What a beautiful picture of loving and trusting authentic relationships that reflected the communities they served. And what if we could restore that? 
Yeah, I would just add on to that. Evan has said this and he just didn't, so I'll add it. A lot of times I think we have, we catch ourselves in these conversations where someone's sharing something that may be really heavy or alarming because they're saying some things that make you think this person's in crisis. And a lot of times, what's our first thing that we say to them? Have you talked to someone about this? Have you talked to someone about it? And the reality is that they're talking to you about it. You are that someone. And so we need to be present and to not be afraid to be in those difficult conversations because just listening and having a grace and curiosity and allowing your emotions to kind of be present with where they're at, not become consumed by what they're feeling, but just to be with them in that moment speaks to them louder than anything else. And rather than outsourcing it, we can be that source of help. Right. I met a new friend kind of recently and I looked at her one day and I was like, you've never had a friend like me. And in my head, you know how you're doing your Jim Carrey, the Grinch. I'm doing Aladdin, you know. You yeah. Robin Lightning. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> but you I should go ahead and do it. Which voice is it? Which one is that? No, no, no. That's not one of my talents. Okay. But and I meant it in this sense of I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to stand by you and I'm going to fight for you. Am I going to be the perfect right. friend? No. Am I going to disappoint you? Probably. Am I going to let you down? Likely. But I'm going to be here, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to fight for you. And sometimes fighting for someone is being educated. And I wanted to, I want to be educated on trauma and in that sense, because even if you're in charge of a um, group at church or the church, it is a place for healing. So you're going to encounter people with trauma. It's just how it is. And it was about a year ago, I was like, I want to be more involved with women's ministry at church. Well, guess what that comes with? Broken people who have experienced trauma. And one of the things that you had said in the book, I think it was on page 83, essentially, we make a mess of things and then blame God. If he is so good and so loving, why did he let this happen? And then there was a quote of someone saying, well, I guess God caused this to happen to her or let her endure this abuse so she could grow up and help some other kids someday. And I think a lot of times we're like, well, God allowed that to happen so you can help someone else which Mm -hmm. really isn't the case. And I think you guys said it so beautifully when you said it's clear to see God's hands in the outcome of this story. You were talking about adoption, an adoption of a child that was rescued and put on a path to helping others in crisis. However, outcome and origin are not the same. God did not make someone abuse you. He never intended for his children to be harmed by those who were supposed to care and protect them. That wasn't the original plan. And I think was the most beautifully well-written, put-together thing that I've ever seen. And that's the thing I hope that people, if they're like, well, you know, my life's not been that traumatic or I've not been through this or that, to take this away and be able to speak this into the lives of other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's weird. I haven't read the book since it was released. And so anytime people read it back to me, I'm like, wow, that's a really good thought. You know, I think that medicine, in an effort to set some boundaries and help us, especially maybe in Western world, I can't speak to what it's like in the rest of the world because I haven't been there. But, you know, like in surgery, if you're a surgeon, they have someone go ahead and put you to sleep and prepare your body for surgery before the surgeon comes in. And that's because in theory, it allows the surgeon to have a distance from the patient so they can operate more calculated that they're not emotionally engaged should something go wrong. But I wonder in doing so, how does that work when we're talking about issues of the mind and soul, where we disconnect the love of the client, the love of the patient, 
and we say this is now an ac an action oriented this is a prognosis diagnosis this is a treatment mindset where i have to remain where there's no transference of feelings i have to remain in the seat of a professional and you in the seat of a patient i don't see that in scripture i don't i see love being the dividing and defining difference maker in people's lives and I think about sometimes, not that I'm saying we should change medicine, I'm not saying that, but I think sometimes we ask clinicians to do that which only God can do. Mm. Good. And yes. we ask them to love us and to be there for us forever. And I'll tell you what, when your eight appointments are up and your insurance is over, they're going to move on. It's not because they're bad people. It's because somewhere at some venture capital firm that owns them in New York City, they're told they have to see X number of patients billing per week. And that's just the way that we exist in today's world. And I think that's what people are seeing in reboot groups all across the world right now is someone who's in the room who's saying, I'm giving six, eight, 10 hours a week of my time, time away from my job, time away from my family. And I'm here for no other reason than that I love you and I care about you and I want what's best for you. And man, how many of us have ever said, I felt like that when I met with my doctor. I just felt absolutely loved and known and understood. Right. Not many of us can say that. I'm not slamming the medical institution. I'm just saying it's a different relationship. It's a different, system. it's a different system. And what if we can be a piece of that system? What if we can be a movement of love in that way where people say, man, they gave me something I couldn't get anywhere else. Right. You know? Yeah, that that's spot on. That's good stuff. And it's like, are we going to be transparent and vulnerable with people as well? Because... I know when I was going through something in life, I had a friend that kept saying, you need to be transparent. You need to be transparent. But really, I was not going to be transparent with her until she was transparent with me and just right. open, honest and authentic. That's when I was able to let my guard down and be authentic with her. Yeah, it definitely goes both ways. And that is another way that I think I had to bridge that gap because I started out as a provider doing occupational therapy, but I didn't want my clients, patients to see me as on a different level as them. And so I did level with them and treat them as humans and open up about myself. And I feel like that just built so much trust that then when this reboot thing came about and I invited them, they were like, well, yeah, I'll check that out. It sounds different than every other client patient interaction I've had. And it was really miraculous to us when, when somebody started it, when somebody led with that transparency and grace and vulnerability, it just snowball affected and we were shocked at how willing to go there people were when they felt safe and when they felt seen and that's been always a key tenet of the dna of what makes reboot reboot that's awesome and when people are trying to find their community and their people you have this equation in the book and it's safety plus stability plus support equals healing and how do you find your people and you say safe people don't lead with advice or recommendations on how you should cope with healing. They lead with grace and compassion, just like you just said. Yep. And questions. We didn't know what we were doing when we first started. We were not military. We had not experienced combat trauma, but we wanted to understand that experience. And I think just asking yeah. about it and, and staying around for the answer, even when the answer was heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, it yeah. gave us a new perspective on on the world and on God and our place in it and our calling. And it's been one of the most amazing journeys of our lives because we had curiosity and to try to understand someone who have had who has had an experience that we had never had. We had yeah, never and if we could go back, I would add that to the book probably is when you lead with curiosity, 
can't go wrong. When you're genuinely curious, I want to understand you. I want to understand what you've been through. I want to get to understand why you think this happened to you and what happened to you. When you lead with that, man, I mean, how often is it that we actually have genuinely curious conversations anymore? Right. Just with the exception of just the exchange of quick information, you know? And man, when you do that, people will come out of the woodwork opening up to you because you're the only one actually listening. Mm. And we didn't have all the answers and we didn't have to have all the answers. Yeah, genuine curiosity was deep because we didn't have any advice to give. People like, don't give advice. We didn't have any. For them because they've been through the ringer of the medical system and still weren't feeling better or feeling free. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting excited. I'm like, that's right. I do agree with this. Well, of course I agree with that. I said it, but it's just funny. I'm like, yeah, Jenny, this is good. We should do something about we this. Should. Getting all fired up over here. I'm going to quit my job and start a nonprofit. Oh, wait. <laughs> You've already done that. I'm only going to start over at the beginning. But it is good to remember the roots. That's why I think this has been a good conversation. That are it fires us up. Yeah. Well, I think that there's something to be learned about. Um, like you said, genuine, being curious and really just diving in to find the answers. And when I started experiencing more people in my life with a lot of trauma and more trauma than I'd been used to, I'm like, let me see what I can learn about it. And so with your book is where I started. This one was near and dear to my heart just because of the friends that I do have that have been through things. And and I think that as a church, we're lacking in several areas. And some of that is discipleship. And some of that is really taking the time to invest in people's lives. Yeah. We say that our church, my personal church, is a healing church. People know that they can come there, be accepted and be loved. And a lot of times they come for a season. And when they start to be healed or feel better, we see them transition out. And that's okay because new people come. And so it's almost like this revolving door of people all the time, which can be hard if you're staying there because there's new faces all the time. And But you have them for that season and they were there to find the healing and to be pointed in the right direction before they decided to go somewhere else. Can I speak to that for just a second? Absolutely. I would... Agree. We have a similar experience, although I'll just share from my personal sort of experiences, what I've witnessed with people. I always say the first sign of true healing, true actual healing is that they begin to realize that someone else is hurting. The second sign is that then they want to actually do something about it. What people think a lot of times is when they feel a little bit better, they think that they've been healed. Which if I went to a person who was dying of thirst and had been in the desert for two and a half days and gave him two teaspoons of water, he would think, oh my gosh, this is life changing. I have now tasted liquid. Mm. But the funny part about it is, guess what? Is he actually that much safer? Probably not. He's still on the verge of dehydration and going to die potentially. But that little bit of water to him was so nourishing. And that's what happens. People come to a community of healing. They get two tablespoons of healing. And they think they can go on and go someplace else. The challenge with that is actually what they fail to realize is that true healing ends in empowerment. That when we actually start to heal, the, the, in order to continue healing, we have to take the pain that we've went through. We have to then convert it, let Lord recycle it into purpose. And then actually the next era, stage two of healing, if you will, can only happen as we're actually serving other people out of our own pain. So there's this idea that like, okay, I'm better. Now I'm going to go to a real church where I can just sit in anonymity and, a, and, and be a consumer and be show up like a cow every time the dinner bell rings Sunday mornings and get fed and go home. 
but there's this thing that when we don't step forward and say, I'm going to now step into a position of mentorship, of leadership, of supporting someone else at a very basic level. What's funny is we actually miss out on the rest of the healing. We get 5% and we miss out on the actual 95. Most healing happens. Ask any teacher. They learn more when they're teaching than when they're sitting in a room. And so the same is true. I learn more trying to help somebody else about my own situation, trying to help someone else than I do by focusing on my own situation. That'll preach right there. I mean, how many of us, right, when we, when we counsel, we actually get worse in counseling sessions. We get worse in Bible studies because we're so in focus on our own stuff that we miss out on the 95% of healing because you realize that actually happens when you're learning how to help someone else. I mean, my faith development, my faith journey, my, my trust in Jesus, my the role the Holy Spirit plays in ministry for me, it exploded when I started to actually serve other people who were desperate. It was dormant and 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 um, rigid and stuck when I was just trying to serve my own spirituality. That's good stuff right there. And I think that's the reason we see so many people go through the door, but then they come back around. And it may be... That's right, revolving. That's right. It, it's revolving. But sometimes it's the same faces. They went out for a little bit and then they came back. Right. Because like you said, they didn't have true, genuine healing. Right. And or they went out to what they thought was the safe, stable community. They realized that nobody understood them anymore. Mm. They weren't. No. Jenny is about to say something good. No, I was just coming. Here comes. I was just going to say that it goes hand in hand with what you said was your other priority, which is discipleship. And again, we're called not to just be discipled, but to disciple others. Right. And so, and then that in, in turn enhances our growth and our relationship with the Lord. So I think that it only would make sense that when we're in that spiritual restoration and healing process, that it points towards the overflow of that into other people's lives, not just for our own mm. Right. That wasn't as angry as I hoped it was. I thought you were no. going to yell at somebody. No, no, no. <laughs> you should have. Awesome. You said also in the book, we can only truly heal the wounds of rejection, neglect, abandonment when we embrace God's view of identity. And that's been a big thing that I have believed in for a while now. If you truly know how much God loves you and how much mm -hmm. God cares about you, your life and your perspective is totally different. Yeah. And so we are actually doing a study at my church with the women about identity where our women's conference last fall was about identity because it makes such an impact to know who you belong to and that someone cares about you in that way that's probably one of the most core elements of reboot and of the book because i feel like so many of the other topics boil down to it right i feel like there's just so many things that come back to that knowing who you are in christ and that there is a God that loves you and there's a God that will and can redeem your situation that you are in and that he never meant for you to go through that because he loves you. But yeah, there's a section in the book, which I read on the audiobook, and we've <laughs> borrowed it from a father's heart ministries, but it's just called a father's love letter to his children. It's just verse after verse after verse telling the story of God's love for his, for humanity and for you specifically. And I'm tearing up just reading it out loud because I think to verbalize these things about God and how he he has sought us and when when we return to him it'll throw the biggest party heaven's ever seen like it just it it pierces and it mm. penetrates I think on a soul level to to resonate with that truth uh, because, if, it re because it restores yeah even if you can't cognitively understand it it is embedded within us as Correct. God's children as image bearers of God and so 
it was really important to us to include that. And if, if people want to go further, I would recommend just read that out loud and see what happens. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. And Thank you for actually reading the book and having questions as opposed to most people who interview us, they really didn't read the book. They read like our preset interview questions that, that our agent sent out, our PR person. And uh, as for answer, they're like, that's great. And they just move on to the next no, like, we'll see something that we think is super profound and they'll be like, mm, that's great. You know, another question I have this. <laughs> it's like, you have no idea. We could, we could be saying nothing and you'd be like, mm, that's great. I, I loved it. I actually, most of the time I annoy people because they're like, what do you want to talk about? So I'll give them a general topic. And I'm like, you know, I just pray that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us through this and it's going to be whatever God needs it to be. And um, they're like, what? I need like note. I'm like, mm, okay. Um, but this time I actually did take notes and I, if, if I was going to write in the book, it would be written up by now. I would have things highlighted, but I wanted to give it to a friend afterwards. So I didn't want to highlight a section and be like, why'd you highlight that for me? Is that uh, for me? I'm like, I know, I know somebody who can get you more copy no, for the book. Good. Somebody, I got a hookup for you. You could, you could write in that one. We could get you a gift copy, but, um, no, yeah, so it, it was, it was, it was just a, a profound book in every aspect of reading it. And really, Jenny, you said trash smash. Please, please tell me what trash smash is. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have three small boys. You said you have children. You know what it's like. There, there isn't time in my many tasks a lot of times to pause to take the trash out. Because you don't just have to take the trash out. You got to refill the bag. And sometimes I have my hands full. So. I am just good about, I'm just really environmentally conscious. I just really want to fit as much trash into a bag as I can for the sake of the environment, less trash bags are being used. Um, but yeah, I'll push that sucker down as hard as I can. And sometimes, as I said, stepping on it, it gets you more leverage. But we can't do that with our emotions. And that's the whole point um, because they just spill out onto the floor. Right, right. Like some of my trash sometimes does. Personally, I'm the runner that they talk about in the book that just um, replaces emotions with running. I literally tried to do that for years um, <laughs> and it didn't it didn't work. I never outran it no matter how many miles or half marathons I ran or if I put on a weighted vest. It was I think it was like seven or nine pounds and run like seven to ten miles. The only thing that felt better is when I took it off at the end. And that was just a momentary relief. But yeah. Um, I never could outrun anything that I was dealing with that I didn't want to deal with. Um, mm -hmm. Because as you say in the book, emotions are not bad. Like God gave us those emotions for a reason. But um, sometimes yeah. we end up acting more like Elsa, like conceal, don't feel, don't let it show because then the world's going to know. So we try to replace that with sometimes literally running. Wow, that was a quick reference of Frozen there. We've had several Disney movie references. I like this. I don't think that the half our audience, half our audience is boycotting this. Oh, so you got to look whoops. out. <laughs> I don't want to get political. I'm just saying it feels like we're getting political. Okay? Old. I cling to the Disney of old. I I have kids that enjoy Frozen and it's a, some, some things are good references. Um, We should probably all boycott a lot of things that we don't, but mm -hmm. here we, here we I'm are. Convinced I boycotted everything I disagreed with. <laughs> I would basically be like walking everywhere, wearing no clothes. <laughs> Eating or drinking nothing, and, and, and unless drinking, you throw it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that's right. But yeah, you don't have to agree with them, but there is some 
God can use anything and use it for an example and to bring him glory, even what people was deemed for bad. Even that's what we talk about kind of in the book, what what people ha- were evil and meant for bad, God can restore and redeem and right. use for his glory. Right. Mm-hmm. Preach. <laughs> Which makes me think of the Grinch. Who, no, I'm just <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to speak on? I'll just say, I think if there's people listening who are hurting, to know they're not alone, to know that there's two schools of thought. One that, that says everything is traumatic and another that says nothing is really traumatic. Suck it up. And I think that our pendulum in society has maybe swung one way currently and maybe a few a generation ago it was the other way. Um, but if you look at your situation, what you experienced and ask yourself out of that situation, what has the fruit been? Is the fruit that I'm more bitter, that I'm more isolated, that I'm more distant, that I'm more numb, that I'm more um, calloused and jaded and unfaithful? If that's the case, then that's no way to live. Mm-hmm. And freedom awaits, you know, healing awaits. It's it's right, it's right around the corner. It's it's three clicks away. You can go to rebootrecovery.com, click join a course, select the city near you, put in your information, and you're there. I mean, literally three clicks and a few keystrokes away, and you'll be plugged in a group of people who not only understand firsthand the kind of thing you've been through uh, and can relate, but also are armed with tactical, practical tools that have helped thousands of other people heal from trauma. And if it helped those other 20,000 people, well, then guess what? It can help you too. And that would just be my encouragement to anybody who's listening, who's hurting, or if there's somebody who's listening and says, you know what? I've done some healing and, uh, and, and I've come a long way. Well, we would say every day, you know, our team prays for workers of the harvest to come alongside of us and to lock arms with us and to, to go out and become agents of healing in communities. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be a, a scientist or a therapist or any of those words. You have to just be a person who has a willing heart, some time, some capacity, and uh, and availability. And if you have those things, you, you know you're going to grow. I, I I read something that I wrote. Um, I wrote it in 2013, and I actually just read it the other day, which was, God would rather have someone with limited ability and total availability. Mm. Than he would with total ability but no availability. That's good. And and I read it and I was like, dang, that's really that's a good thought that I need to remind myself of. Right. And I just think that's that's our story. You want to know what makes reboot work? We have limited abilities. We do very much so. You know, we are not great at self-promotion. You know, we're not influencers on social media. I think we have two thousand followers. Um, and I don't care, to be honest with you. Our focus, though, say, God, we're fully available. And that has led us into some of the darkest places on earth, helping people through some of the most destructive traumas that happened to them that you could possibly imagine that we won't even talk about on air. And somehow God's used that and God can use you too. And so if you feel called to join us and lead, click on lead at recovery.com and plug in. Let's get started. We'll provide you with training, curriculum, coaching, support. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but if you've got a story and you want and to connect with other people who need to hear it, and for them, it might be life or death for them to hear your story, we can give you tools to do that. Oh. Or you could buy 6,000 copies of our book, whatever. Send an extra one back to you. Hey, 
I'm I'm a big fan of um, buying all those books and just hand them out like hotcakes. Like, here, you need one and you need one and you Oprah. need <laughs> You get a car. You, you get a car. <laughs> so Oprah. Oprah did like millions of shows in her life. <laughs> and the only car. thing she'll ever be known for is you, you, get, a car. you get a car. Well, it's a pretty fantastic statement to make that multiple times over. Yeah. Car. So you end the book somewhere closer to the end. Hope is the fruit of suffering explained. And God never wastes a wound. And I think that that's, that's true. And when you come to realize that God doesn't waste a wound, he didn't necessarily create it. It's not the origin of it, but it doesn't have to go to waste when you can help someone else. Mm. Hope There it is right there. Hope is the fruit of suffering. See, we did write that, <laughs> which is great. Um, yeah, Jenny, why don't, well, we you, follow, why don't you explain well, I was that? just going to say, I mean, we, we follow... Um, a Jesus who was the suffering servant and through his suffering, all humanity is being and has been redeemed. So it would make sense. That's on a micro level. Our suffering is like his in that out of it, there's redemption and there is hope on the other side of it. And I think that's just the way that's one of the ways that the, the universe is under God's hand, under his, under his protection. And, and it's being renewed day by day. And we have something to look forward to an ultimate recreation. Uh, and so we don't believe that hope is found necessarily by avoiding suffering. In fact, it's found through allowing suffering to do its work in bringing about hope, character, perseverance, all those things in your own life and in the lives of the people who are watching. Right. Mm. That's good. I'm so how, while you're listening to all these heart-wrenching stories, how do you guard your heart? And take it all in do you take um sabbaticals from time to time i mean what is your what's your key how do you guard your heart from hearing the most awful stories of humanity well yeah i mean i think let me say this every time i think i've heard the worst story i hear another story that is worse and i think that there's you know people it says this in the book probably i don't know what the book says but it says um <laughs> you know that Reboots changed me in a couple of ways. One, it's taught me the value of authentic community. But number two, is it's taught me to never underestimate the depravity of mankind. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, for us, I think how we guard our hearts is it. I don't think that's the number one challenge, to be honest with you. I think that there is an element of compassion fatigue and burnout that can be very, very real. Absolutely. But I think that where Jenny and I are at today, actually, it's probably something that impacts our local leaders even more so than we are because we've been doing it so long and we've got some levels between us and and every group in the country, et cetera. But I say all that because I think that really where this type of work challenges you is in your response to those depravities. So do you become afraid? Do you start to say things like, oh, I'm going to have to shield my children from the world because the world's this awful place? Mm-hmm. Or do you become angry? Do you become a person that just says, people suck and that's just how they are or what about when you pour your life out for someone and you give them four thousand dollars to to go on a trip to see someone and it turns out that that was a scam and they took your money or you pour your life out for somebody and you take time away from your kids to pour into this person's life and they say thanks a lot and then they never call you again right then you get jaded and be like well i'm not pouring into people because people just use me those are the real challenges of what compassion fatigue looks like compassion fatigue doesn't always look like triggering PTSD type nightmares. Sometimes it does. And we have had seasons where we were both having nightmares and it does. But I think for us long, long term, how we have to guard our hearts is actually against our responses 
being unchristlike like to those things mm. and to realize that he was never loved really back for what he did right. at his time. He was rejected. He was despised by men. He was accused of things that he didn't do. He was, and to really, um, you ask what we do. I try to look in the eyes of Christ and say, what am I experiencing that you experienced to its fullness and how did you respond? And so I think that's really where we start. The other thing is, is the fact that Jenny and I do it together is fundamentally special and allows us, I believe, to have the value of processing things in real time with people, with somebody who understands how to process things, if that makes sense. Like we have a built-in, we have a built-in sounding board like healthy sounding board which i really think is what has allowed us to do this for so long and then the other part is i'll just end with this i mean the reality is is that when you go to a dark place and you see the lord move Hmm. your response will be to say take me to a darker place yeah and i think that's the part that most people don't really get about it is that the reason why you actually people who get compassion fatigue who get that they do it because they see god move in such a mighty way that they say lord take me darker not just deeper because deeper is darker darker is deeper right um mm, that's good we should write about that yeah well i think too when you're praying and it's been a prayer of mine like i want to be more like you jesus i want others to see christ in me and then you get these situations and then you start really diving in, like you said, to who Jesus was. He was despised and rejected by right. his own people. And then yeah. you're like, why should I expect anything more anything other. than that? It's exactly. my reactions to what it is. And then, yes. you know, even when I'm pouring out the love of Christ and it seems to be rejected or ran from or people right. hide away, it's like, that's a reflection of how I treat God. And then I'm humbled. And I was like, God, I am sorry because I am this person that runs from you. I'm this person that that's that, right. that you want to help. And I act like you don't know what I'm going through or that you don't know the truth. He already knows the truth. And there's sometimes, right. you know, we may know the truth about whoever we're trying to help and they just run. And you're like, I'm yeah. just trying to help you. But really, we see a reflection of ourselves and how we treat God. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. It's it's uh, how many times do we as people who minister say, stop, let me, I say this all the time, like, stop wrecking your life. Stop it. Stop wrecking your life. You know, it's like, if I could, if I could get a tattoo, I don't have any tattoos. I think I'm going to get one that just says stop wrecking your life. Um, you know, and, and I just think how many times has God up there face falling yeah. to Evan being like, Evan, stop wrecking your life. Right. You know, um, you know, and, and and I think that uh, the other thing that I just want to spotlight on here is that when you pray for workers to come around you and you, you authentically love the people he sends you and you accept them as being a misfit group of people, I think that we look at churches so often and it's like the board, the elders at the church look more like a board of directors at a corporation. That's not what Jesus is 12 looked like, y'all. They look like a misfit group of hooligans, fishermen, doctors, people who are like, these dudes do not go Tax together. Collectors. Right. Like, these dudes do not hang out together. They are not friends. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Um, versus if, if today a person was saying, I'm going to build a ministry, he would have went and got a couple of doctors, a few theologians, a few, you know, they wouldn't have went and gotten a tax collector and some fishermen and some, you know what I mean? And, uh, and also not to mention Jesus was blue collar. Um, and I think that that's another thing that separates reboot. Reboot is a blue collar ministry. We are a blue collar ministry. And what I mean by that is we are not a respecter of persons based on how much wealth they have, what kind of car they drive. What kind of degrees? What kind of degree they have in the other wall? We want to say, show me the, show me your record of how you've treated people, and let's look at your record will be written on the hearts of men, as Paul says in Romans. And I mean, that is something that, you know, just yesterday I was talking to one of my team members, and I said we're a blue collar ministry. And that moment, I've never said that phrase until yesterday, but I thought that's one of the defining differences of our ministry model. Right. We've got a bunch of people who don't have degrees, leading courses, who came from nothing, still don't have much. But I'll tell you what, they know how to love people in a way that my my corporate friends don't. Right. And my corporate friends are spiritually bankrupt mm-hmm. while these people are spiritually millionaires. Right. And not in all cases, but I'm saying in the cases of many of our reboot leaders, I mean, these volunteers, if any of them are listening to this, y'all, I mean. Hearts of gold. You all are incredible. Yeah. I mean, our reboot volunteers, the thousand plus people that lead courses every week are changing the world. And the world. the staff that I have engaged with to get this podcast together have been absolute amazing i love jess she is absolutely the best um she is the best she, she really jess, jess is the best yeah. kind of <laughs> she is um but i could tell that you were so genuine like i said i just started this podcast i don't have millions of followers i'm probably not going to be up for any k-love awards or anything like that but if this helps one person i think it's done its job and I think yeah. that it will help many people. And I'm I'm blessed and I'm honored that you guys have taken time to speak with me today. And I just um, pray that it finds the people that it needs to. And um, that people can connect with Reboot if they've got civilian trauma, if they've got any kind of trauma in their life, that there's uh-huh. a program that you have for them that we can point them to a, a faith-based program that's going to actually change lives. And that's doing a work through you guys. and. It's just so encouraging to be able to talk with you guys. Really, it is. Well, you don't need K-love when you got that J-love, oh. Jesus love. <laughs> that have been super encouraging to us. I think you made Evan tear up earlier. So thank Stop you. Stop it. Thank you for reading Why the book. Call me? I like that. And for, uh, I guess, just picking up on what we were laying down. And uh, we're glad to know that that's being clearly communicated through the book. So thank you so much. That was, that was a blessing to hear that. Well, thank you. Again. Hey, thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Nice to meet you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast. Let us next time.